Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, August 19th. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. Democrats nominate former Vice President Joe Biden as the convention kicks into high gear. Plus, the Postal Service halts controversial changes after fierce backlash, but will sorting machines and other essential services be restored? And as outbreaks grow on college campuses across the country, university officials reversing their reopenings. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. Joe Biden was officially nominated for president during the second night of the Democratic National Convention. His wife, Joe Biden, was front and center, as well as other prominent Democrats and even Republicans who now side with Mr. Biden. Andrea Linares brings us the highlights. Overnight, Democrats officially nominating Joe Biden for president. Normally, it would take place in an arena with thousands of delegates cheering on. This year, all virtual. Thank you very, very much from the bottom of my heart. The delegates casting their votes not on a packed convention floor, but spread out across the country. Former President Bill Clinton calling Joe Biden a man with a mission. You know what Joe Biden will do? Build back better. In the spotlight, 17 rising stars in the Democratic Party delivering the keynote address. Among them, former Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams. America faces a triple threat, a public health catastrophe, an economic collapse, and a reckoning with racial justice and inequality. Progressive powerhouse AOC given 60 seconds to make her case for the movement built by Bernie Sanders. A movement that realizes the unsustainable brutality of an economy that rewards explosive inequalities of wealth for the few at the expense of long-term stability for the many. And once again, America heard from some Republicans who are now standing with Biden. Joe Biden will be a president we will all be proud to salute. Cindy McCain, the wife of late senator and presidential nominee John McCain, reflecting on their friendship. They would just sit and joke. It was like a comedy show sometimes to watch the two of them. Ending the night, Jill Biden speaking from her old English classroom about Joe Biden as a husband and a father who overcame hardships. Four days after Bo's funeral, I watched Joe shave and put on his suit. I saw him steal himself in the mirror, take a breath, put his shoulders back, and walk out into a world empty of our son. It was a personal speech, making the case for her husband as commander-in-chief. He will do for your family what he did for ours. Bring us together and make us whole. Carry us forward in our time of need. Keep the promise of America for all of us. Meanwhile, President Trump trying to distract attention from the Democrats, campaigning in critical swing states. This election that we're going into is the most important election in the history of our country. Because we had crooked Hillary, but this is something these people are sick. 
Tonight, it'll be former President Barack Obama's turn to speak. He reportedly plans to warn democracy itself is on the line and outline why Joe Biden and running mate Kamala Harris have the experience and character needed to lead America out of the COVID-19 crisis. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And joining me now is Dr. Patricia Campos Medina. She's a Bernie Sanders delegate from New Jersey and a faculty member at the Worker Institute at Cornell University. Thanks for being here, Dr. Campos Medina. As a Sanders delegate and a progressive, what has been some of the highlights uh, of the last two nights that have really caught your attention? Well, as a... Um you know, as a Bernie delegate, we had been very focused on figuring out how do we carry on the progressive uh, policies that energize so much of the uh, young Latino people of color base. How do we infuse some of that, those policies into, into the platform? And I think we got somewhere as far as we could have gotten in the platform of, of the Democratic Party. So we're excited about that. So to me, one of the greatest highlights that we saw at the beginning of this convention was, of course, Michelle Obama. I mean, Michelle Obama goes to the heart of what we expect on a leader, someone with, with respect for everybody, someone with decency. So that goes to the character and what are the qualities of a leader. But Bernie Sanders on Monday actually went directly to what Americans expect in terms of policy differences between, uh, between a Trump administration and what we expect to see uh, from a Biden administration. And I think that that for me was a highlight. We saw Bernie who was ex uh, energetic and strong in his support for, for, uh, for uh, Biden the Biden-Harris ticket. And I think that making it clear that he will continue to work for those issues is, is provided some of us um, progressives sort of a sense that, yes, we will continue to fight for Medicare for all, we will continue to fight for climate change, and we will continue to fight for just immigration reform, which is on some of the key components that Latino young voters and people of color care about. And Dr. Representative Ocasio-Cortez got 60 seconds of speech last night, but critics have pointed out that not enough Latinos have been featured during prime time. Do you agree? Totally agree. I think it's, um, it was disappointing to only get 60 seconds from um, Ocasio-Cortez. She is an energetic Leader, she's an effective communicator. I will say, as good as Michelle Obama in the in the way she communicates what a new generation of leaders want of this country to go back to a vision of opportunity and justice for all. And she should have gotten more time. But also, um, somebody like um, Julian Castro, who is such an important voice for young. Uh, uh, Latinos that are not necessarily progressive by see him as a new voice uh, of the Democratic Party. Julian Castro should be there. We only have very few Latinos speaking and we are 20% uh, uh, of the vote. And one thing that worries me about this convention so far is that we are not talking to that new generation of, of, people, of voters of color who believed in the Bernie Sanders message and they need to hear how the Biden-Harris administration will reach out to them. So and I, you know, we still have another day. 
I do hope that we get to address some of these concerns and I, I and hope that we can elevate some of the younger Latino voices because our community, yes, we do not like Donald Trump and we are totally against getting him out of office, but we also need to see how a Biden administration will reach out to our community and address some of our immediate concerns. And doctor, I want to ask you, what are you most looking forward to tonight and tomorrow? Well, first of all, I want to say that tonight we will hear from uh, Barack Obama. We will hear, uh, um, you know, his message of hope that he that he was able to inspire us in 2008. You know, this is a totally different convention. I was first a delegate for Obama in 08, so I want to hear some of his some of his ideas of how to cross this divide uh, uh, in, uh, in our party. I think we're all united behind uh, Biden and Harris, but I think that we need to how belong to this. And I think that uh, President is uh, the right person to bring that message together today. I hope to see more young voices, a new generation of, of, of politicians that will tell us Going as America, we are not going back to an America before Donald Trump, because the America before Donald Trump was very uh, divided. Latinos in, in that America were already suffering from high levels of poverty. They were suffering from high levels of, of oppression from ICE. They were suffering, uh, you know, police oppression at the same levels of African Americans. So we're not, we don't want to go back to pre-Trump. We want to look forward. So I'm looking for young, energetic political leadership that I know exists, just like Barack Obama gave us that in 2008. I want to see younger voices, and I hope we get to see them and how Joe Biden is going to work with the new leadership of this party to bring us all together and to build a better America for all of us. Well, thank you so much for your time and your insight, Dr. Patricia Campos Medina, a delegate for Bernie Sanders. Yes, thank you for the opportunity. And uh, we hope, you no, know, it's not 2008, not 2016, but we are committed to, uh, uh, to energizing our base and committed to defeating Donald Trump and bring a level of decency and clear-headed debate uh, in the White House to move our issues forward. Well, thank you, so thank doctor. you very much. Thank you. Meanwhile, the Postmaster General has suspended changes in mail service after intense backlash and accusations that he is working on behalf of President Trump to undermine the elections. Edwin Pitti joins us from Washington, D.C. with the latest. Edwin. Hi, Lorraine. I can tell you at this hour, the mail-in voting is still a critical issue for President Donald Trump, who has repeatedly said over the last couple of weeks that if that's the way the many states would like to go about the election, it will result in a lot of fraud. This morning, the president said on his Twitter account that if people protest in person, they should vote in person. So in the midst of all this controversy, like you said, the Postmaster General uh, Louis DeJoy said that he's reversing some of the most controversial changes, operationally speaking, that he was implementing within the postal office. So that means that right now they are not going to be changing the hours of the postal office. Also, everything regarding mail processing equipment and blue collecting boxes will remain in place. Also, no processing mail facility will be closing soon and 
over time will be approved as necessary. That announcement, I can tell you, Lorraine, comes after 20 Democratic attorney generals in the U.S. announced a lawsuit against the Joy for disrupting mail delivery in this country. That, as many post offices are expected to receive millions of mail-in ballot in the November election because a lot of people are not comfortable going out to vote. They do not want to wait many hours in line. They do not want to be exposed at all to COVID-19, so mail-in voting keeps being their best option. But that is not the only lawsuit right now. Also, the Trump re-election campaign suing the state of New Jersey for making the decision through an executive order to mail every single resident in that state a ballot and leaving it up to them to decide if they want to vote through the mail or if they want to vote in person. Again, President Trump claiming that will only lead to fraud. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, Democrats are still working on the legislation to try to prohibit the joy to implementing any type of big changes in operations in the post office because they say that right now, especially the Speaker of the House, Pelosi, saying that the joy is taking a step back because he's feeling the fire right now. But Pelosi also adding that reversing this is not enough. He needs to fix all the issues that they already uh, made happen right now, but it is still unclear if they are going to reverse all the changes that already happened. Live in Washington, D.C., Lorraine, back to you. Thank you, Edwin, for that report. Coronavirus cases in the U.S. are trending downward, but the FDA is warning of a fa faulty test results, saying some methods are not giving a reliable diagnosis. This as new poll says a majority of people feel the worst of the pandemic is still ahead of us. Here's the latest on the pandemic in the U.S. On Monday, the U.S. recording an average of 49,100 new cases per day, down from 65,000 in July. But what seems like a glimmer of hope coming as new concerns emerge about faulty coronavirus test results. The FDA now revealing that one of the most widely used tests could be giving invalid or false negative results. The administration also warning that the tests produced by Thermo Fisher Scientific are vulnerable to false negatives if the samples aren't properly processed. There are areas of the country, several, that are actually in community spread. A new CNN poll conducted by SSRS shows almost 7 in 10 Americans say they are embarrassed by the U.S. response to the coronavirus. 55% of those polled feeling the worst of the pandemic is still ahead. Most people saying the president could be doing more to fight the outbreak. In states like Hawaii, the governor is now suspending tourism until October after seeing a surge in cases last week. Everyone can be cautious. Then maybe, maybe we can avoid a total shutdown, which we don't want to do. But, you know, lives are at stake. Meanwhile, as colleges and universities struggle on how to start the fall semester, Dr. Anthony Fauci warning the decision to reopen in spite of high rate of infections could quickly backfire. You better think twice before you do that. You go in, people get infected, boom, they close them down. But institutions across the country still welcoming students back. Hundreds arriving at Temple University in Philadelphia Monday for move-in. Dr. Burks pleading with students to use common sense. Every person needs to really ensure that they're not infecting another. And that means we can't have these large parties. Off-campus parties causing a cluster of cases at the University of Tennessee and North Carolina State. 
14% of North Carolina's total cases are now among people aged 18 to 24. And joining me now is Dr. Adrian Burroughs. He's a family medicine physician outside Orlando, Florida. Thanks for being here, Dr. Burroughs. In Florida, the Martin County School District announced that more than 300 students and staff are now in quarantine after showing symptoms. This is in addition to the multiple positive cases in colleges nationwide. What does the, this say about how the school reopening plan is going? So thank you for having me on. So uh, I agree that, you know, this is um, an issue that I predicted would happen. Um, I just felt like um, young people would not really socially distance themselves. And I think you're seeing the evidence of that now. You've got University of North Carolina that's, that is shut down, is now doing virtual schooling. You've got uh, Michigan State and Notre Dame that have just done the exact same thing. And um, I think that even though we've seen this decline across the nation of coronavirus cases, I think that young people, um, because they're not socially distancing well, and because I don't think they have all the good processes in place, um, you know, they're, they're staying together in dorms, things like that. I think that this was pretty much predictable. Doctor, we know there's a delay in getting test results, sometimes up to two weeks. How are schools accounting for those delays to keep potentially sick students and teachers out of schools? And that's a great question. So one of the issues that happened in Martin County here in Florida is the fact that we had symptomatic children that were taken to the doctor by their parents um, and then they were sent to school before they got the results back. So that those delays are now uh, assisting in the spike that you're seeing now in, in these young people. Uh, and, and parents need to be a little bit more responsible that if you do feel like your child is sick and is having symptoms, quarantine them, keep them home until they test negative. Nationwide, doctors are increasingly concerned that coronavirus could cause heart complications in athletes, a condition known as myocarditis. What do you know about this? Yes, yeah, so myocarditis is inflammation of the heart muscle. And so when that happens, it weakens the heart and it can actually cause scar tissue that will, that similar to when you have a heart attack. And in some people, it can ha make a clot form inside the heart and actually cause and so when you have a viral infection like um, COVID-19 coronavirus is, people are at risk for that. And we, we're starting to see cases of that in young people, which is why um, I've, I've not been in favor of youth returning to school or participating in sports. And doctor, my last question, nationwide, the positivity rate as well as cases and hospitalizations are dropping, but deaths remain steadily high at roughly 1,000 per day. What should we make of that drop? Is that light at the end of the tunnel or just a reprieve? So I think that, you know, at some point the cases will decline. But again, as you guys pointed out, we're having a lot of false negative tests because of the methods that people are using to test people. So people are having symptoms, they're going to get tested and they're being told that they're negative when they actually do have the virus. So again, we should really um, be diligent. And if you have the symptoms quarantine, um, seek a medical um, health as soon as possible when you get the symptoms. Um, and again, even though there's been a decline in hospitalizations nationally, there's been a rise in pediatric cases. Well, thank you so much for your time and for being with us here on U News, Dr. Adrian Burroughs, family medicine physician in Florida. Thank you so much. 
And until an effective vaccine or treatment is developed, the fight against uh, COVID-19 focuses on preventing further deaths. But what about people who have already had the virus? Could they re get, get reinfected? Brenda Cancino tells us about an expert and her own experience. Since the rise of COVID-19, more than 20 million people have been infected all over the world. Fortunately, the vast majority have recovered. Now scientists are trying to understand the medium and long-term effects of the virus on those who have been exposed. What is already known is that between 20 and 30 percent of them will experience some kind of relapse or further medical complications. The virus affects the whole body, so we also see complications of the heart, the kidneys, the liver, the brain. A recent study in Germany found that out of 100 recovered COVID-19 patients, 78% recorded some type of heart anomaly more than two months after discharge. 67% of them only experienced a mild form of the disease and had not even been hospitalized. In other words, if someone doesn't become seriously ill from COVID-19, doesn't mean there won't be consequences, although usually the effects are mild. At the age of 64, Ruben Jimenez was hospitalized with the coronavirus. He's now out of danger, but the after effects are haunting him. I cough a lot at night. I have to lie down on my right side, left side. It's like I'm pressing on my lungs, something like that. I also get very tired. Another thing you see from time to time in the patients, I have seen this, that they're fine, with just a little bit of tiredness, and after two or three weeks, they start having fevers again. Very little is known with certainty about this virus, so each patient should continue to contact their doctors and consult them regularly. Reported by Lourdes del Rio in Miami, Brenda Cancino, U News. And with fires spreading in the Golden State, efforts by a major utility company to prevent even more blazes is threatening new hardship for millions of residents. Jaime Garcia explains. In the midst of the worst heat wave in the last two decades, more than three million Californians are living with the possibility of rolling blackouts that will keep them from using their air conditioner units. I'm worried about these moments because of the high temperatures. We can't be indoors or outdoors. Today, California, three main private power companies request to their customers to reduce the use of electrical appliances between 3 p.m. and 10 p.m. to prevent the one-hour lasting rolling blackouts across the state. We are having record high temperatures and the use of air conditioners is also reaching high levels. This could cause that the available power may not be enough to cover the high demand. I control the weather, but you can prepare for the weather events. California's Governor Gavin Newsom ordered an investigation to find out why thousands of Californians suffered sudden blackouts during the weekend, which he said are unacceptable. It's not a surprise that the governor requests an investigation. The last time that California confronted a crisis like this, the then-governor, Gray Davis, was recalled. The heat wave that started last Friday in the western U.S. 
is due to what meteorologists call an anticyclone. It makes the air stop moving, literally remaining in standstill, and the heat continues to grow day after day. In Dead Valley, California, where temperatures reach 134 Fahrenheit almost a century ago, the highest register in the world, Last Monday, the heat climbed to 130 degrees Fahrenheit. The data for 1913 has been always been in doubt. But now that we have the technology, this region of 130 degrees is historic for the U.S. and the rest of the world. In Los Angeles, Jaime Garcia, U News. And as New York City schools get closer to what could be at least a partial reopening, labor experts in the region are reminding parents that they may qualify for paid leave. Peggy Carranza has the details from New York City. A federal law that isn't widely talked about could provide up to $200 a day to some parents. It's the family's first coronavirus response act, which this labor attorney notes was signed into law in March. This law says that you will get up to two weeks, up to 80 hours of paid leave or up to two thirds of your usual pay, right? if you are unable to go to work because your child is at home and you have to take care of them. And if they had worked at least 30 calendar days, they may be eligible to receive the benefit for 10 more weeks. This law, the, this help is available to parents who are working part-time or full-time. According to the law, parents can qualify if they are caring for a child whose school or childcare provider is closed or unavailable due to coronavirus. This expert in labor matters says that mothers like her, who are juggling virtual classes, could also qualify. The school said it will be open two days a week, so for three days a week I have to arrange the care for my children, said Patricia. The aid can be requested from certain public employers and private employers with fewer than 500 employees. It is paid by the employer and they may qualify for a deductible from the federal government, said Patricia. Another recommendation is to check with your state because they may have more programs. In New York City, Peggy Carranza, U News. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, your news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. In Mexico, for many business owners in the capital city, the coronavirus pandemic has brought immense challenges. And as Ana Portella explains, those challenges are now hitting the tourism industry in Mexico City especially hard. Aquí tenemos. Here we have four bunk beds, eight beds, and obviously they are empty. Javier Puente used to see Casa Pepe, the hostel he founded in Mexico City's downtown, brimming with foreign travelers. A day like today in 2019, it was 100% full. 
This 150-bed hostel is his life's project. Currently, they have seven guests. This is the most quantity the hostel has had in the last four months. The lockdown has been devastating for Mr. Puente and the tourism sector. From April to June, Mexico's international tourism revenues dropped 91.4% in comparison to the same quarter last year. Many Mexican tourism hotspots have been gradually reopening since June, but still, most suffer from the lack of visitors. If we don't reach a 45% occupancy, or at least 30% in December, it would be difficult. Most of us will have to shut down. The COVID-19 pandemic has shrunk the Mexican tourism economy, but the last government's efforts to bounce it back have been totally counterproductive. No hay reglas. There are no rules, says a controversial Acapulco commercial in the Pacific state of Guerrero. The video had to be withdrawn from social media for evoking rules that existed pre-pandemic. It lacked safety measures and hygiene protocols. It's like saying, you know what, come over and do what you want in Acapulco. That's not true. We can't. But there's more. The tourism department had to apologize after the English version of Mexico's flagship tourism website mistranslated Mexican states' names. Social media users reacted with a mix of fun and anger. With official support or without it, entrepreneurs such as Javier Puente are working to attract visitors to Mexico by adapting their facilities to the new digital, sanitized and social distance reality. In Mexico City, Ana Portella, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.